Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the Dow Jones is in record territory, closing above 19,000. They're already starting to talk Dow 20,000 now. The markets are euphoric. All the traders who were so convinced that President Trump would be a disaster for the stock market now think it's a boom for the stock market. It shows you, A, how fickle investors are, but also how quickly the narrative can flip. And personally, I don't think it has anything to do with the fundamentals. I think traders are trying to push the markets in a particular direction, and they're just grasping for reasons uh, to justify it. Obviously, what they're talking about now is all this extra economic growth and inflation. Supposedly, more inflation is a good thing, but this is going to result from this massive fiscal stimulus that we're going to get from the Trump administration. Of course, everybody is ignoring the monetary drag that is already evident from the bloodbath in the bond market, and this is going to continue. In fact, if you look at the trend lines, we've broken some trend lines now, which were down in yield and up in bond prices that have been in existence since uh, 2007. So we have done some serious technical damage to the bond market. The 10-year yield right now is at 2.357, which is still low, but it has moved up by 32% in the last two weeks. That is a huge percentage increase in long-term interest rates. First of all, this is already decimating the commercial real estate market, which is the bulk of Donald Trump's net worth. And, you know, he's going to be running his business while he's running the country from the White House, supposedly. He's saying that there's no 
reason that like a senator or other members of uh, government that have to somehow uh, recuse themselves or place their assets in a blind trust, that none of that applies to him. And so he can still run his businesses, even though he's turned it over to his children, he can still be involved. And clearly, he doesn't want to see a continuation of the collapse in the commercial real estate market. But believe me, these cap rates are moving up rapidly. Commercial real estate trades like a bond because a lot of these properties have long-term leases. Some are shorter, but there are leases that are 10, 15, 20 years uh, where the rents are already locked in. And in some cases, there's escalators where they go up every few years, but the schedule is locked in. And so therefore, these assets are valued as like a bond based on the uh, the payment streams, and you have a cap rate. And of course, as cap rates go up, real estate prices come down, and commercial real estate prices should already be down significantly. But if you look at these trends, I think the 10-year, which is at 2.35, can easily hit 3% by the time Trump is sworn in in January. And of course, we're going to keep rising from there, and on the 30-year, the 30-year now is at 3.023. I think there we could be around 4% by the time Donald Trump is sworn in as president. And that is going to clobber. I mean, real estate prices, commercial real estate prices, if we get the 30-year up at around 4, which is still low, I would say commercial real estate prices could be off 20 to 25% which is huge. Meanwhile, you know, banks are making new highs. Supposedly, they love higher interest rates. Why? Because banks are on the hook. They have a lot of loans that are collateralized by commercial real estate, and the value of the collateral is going to plunge. But of course, we're already seeing the effect on mortgage rates. The 30-year fixed rate mortgage was 3.5% before Trump was elected. I'm looking at the Wells Fargo rate as of today, and it is at four and three-eighths. So it's almost moved up a full point, three and a half uh, to four and three-eighths. I mean, we could easily be at four and a half by Friday. You know, the markets are closed uh, for Thanksgiving, but they'll, they'll be open on Friday. So let's say we're at four and a half. That's a full percentage point. But I think we can be at five and a half by January if the 30-year yield get up to 4%. My guess would be if mortgage rates are at five and a half percent in January, up from 3.5%. Based on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, a residential real estate prices would have to drop about 15% in order for the payments to be the same, right? You'd, you'd have to have a 15% a smaller mortgage to have the same payment. And that's a huge drop. I mean, first of all, anybody who's bought real estate in the last several years, if there was a 15% drop, they would be underwater because a lot of people didn't even put a 20% down payment. But even if you put a 20% down payment and you get a 15% drop, when you factor in the cost of selling the broker's commission, you've got no equity anymore. You've lost 100% of your down payment. But for people who put down 3%, 5%, they are way underwater. And that means they can't sell their house. But it also means they have a big incentive to stop making their mortgage payments because now they can just live mortgage payment free for a few years because they know that's how long it's going to take the bank to foreclose. Meanwhile, they don't have to make their maintenance payments. They don't have to make their property tax payments. I mean, we've seen this movie. We know how it ends. And this is just a small move. I mean, if we've broken these trend lines, 
the rate hikes are going to be much bigger. That is the big disconnect here that the markets just don't seem to understand. That if we really get fiscal stimulus, unless we get monetary stimulus on steroids, it isn't going to work. Yet everybody thinks that because we're going to get all the fiscal stimulus, we're not going to get the monetary stimulus. In fact, they believe the Fed is going to take the monetary punch bowl away because now we're going to party on with the fiscal stimulus. But that is impossible. But in the short run, hey, it doesn't matter. The markets really don't care. They've just you know got this bit in their mouth and they're going to run with it. Gold was down today, you know, another 25 bucks or so below 1200, below 1190. This is the lowest we've been, I think, since February. And in fact, now the stock market is actually up more than the price of gold. I mean, it's pretty close, but this is the first time all year that the Dow has been beating the price of gold. Gold stocks, even though they gave up a lot today, they're still way up on the year. I mean, they're still doing much better than the overall stock market, but you know, their lead has certainly been cut down. The dollar index up again today, 101.66. This is a new, I think, 13 or 14-year high in the dollar index. Again, this is all based on the idea that we're going to get higher interest rates. Look, we're going to get higher long-term interest rates, but we're not going to get much in the way of short rates. And look, long-term interest rates, look what happened to the price of gold in the late 1970s as bond yields surged. I mean, bond rate, you know, long-term government bond rates went up dramatically in you know the last few years of the 1970s, yet the price of gold, what, quintupled as interest rates were rising? Because real yields were falling. Inflation was rising faster than yields. And that's what's going to happen this time. I mean, at most, let's say the Fed raises rates in uh, December, where the markets have 100% probability of that happening. And let's say they raise them once or twice next year. That's still nothing compared to the extra inflation that we're going to get as a result of much larger uh, deficits that are going to need to be financed. But also, you know, one of the promises that Donald Trump is probably going to have to break, and of course, he's already breaking a bunch of promises and he hadn't even been sworn in yet. I mean, look at the type of people that he's already appointing to these key cabinet positions. This is business as usual. Remember on the campaign trail, I'm going to get the best, I'm going to get the brightest, and I, you know they're going to be negotiating for us. It's the same old faces, the same old Republican establishment guys that are in every administration. Here they are back you know, getting positions in the Trump administration. Meanwhile, he says, oh, he's not going to uh, prosecute or try to recommend an investigation of Hillary Clinton. Hey, you know, let bygones be bygones. We don't want to be disruptive. Uh, you know, we just let to move forward. So, you know, whatever Hillary Clinton stole, whatever crime she may have committed, hey, you know, that's water over the bridge. You know, he's making friends with everybody. You know, Mitt Romney now might be, you know, in the cabinet. But he's already starting to dial back on Obamacare. You know, at this point, I don't even think they're going to repeal it. I mean, they may replace it with something almost exactly like it, you know, because Mitt Romney now is talking about how, you know, we don't we don't want to get rid of that pre-existing condition. We want to make sure that insurance companies can't discriminate. Well, the minute you've done that, I mean, you know, that's it. You know, you've got to have some version of Obamacare because nobody will buy insurance. If you're going to tell insurance companies they can't discriminate, then you have to require people to buy the insurance. 
You can't get rid of one without the other. So I think we're backing away from that. So I even think a lot of the deregulation that everybody is anticipating is going to happen. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, we might not actually get much in the way of deregulation. I am confident, though, that we will get a tax cut and we will get increases in government spending. I mean, that's easy. Every Republican will vote for that, right? Republicans that were against uh, uh, Keynesian stimulus when uh, Obama was advocating it will embrace it when Trump advocates it, just like they embraced it when Bush 43 advocated fiscal stimulus. The Republicans were all over it. They didn't care about the deficit, and they're not going to care about the deficit now. But I don't think the tax cuts on the margin will be as big as people think. I mean, they're talking about maybe, you know, even taking the top rate from 39 down to 33. They might not. Maybe they'll only go to 35. I mean, we'll see where they go. But and the spending increases, I don't know how much we'll actually be able to do given the enormity of the debt. But, you know, as interest rates are rising, it's already going to cost the government more to pay the interest on the 20 trillion we already borrowed. Forget about borrowing anymore, but this is the promise that I said that I think Trump is going to break. And if he tries to keep it, you know, it's gonna blow up. But one of the things that Trump talked about when he was stumping on the campaign trail was how he wanted to finance the deficits by locking in these low long-term rates. He wanted to finance with 30-year government bonds instead of the short-term T-bills that the government has relied on throughout the entirety of the Obama administration. In fact, in Bush administration and Clinton, it started under Clinton, where we were refinancing into the shorter end. And, and so he wants to change that because he wants to try to lock in these low rates. Well, the problem is by the time he's president, the low rates won't be there anymore. I mean, they'll still be low relative to where they've been historically, but they're going to be much higher than they were when he was making the claims that he wanted to lock them in because the market has already started to anticipate the supply. But think about this. If over the course of the four years of the Trump first term, if every time a short-term uh, bill matures and the Treasury, instead of rolling it over into another short-term bill, tries to sell a 30-year bond, at a minimum, the net interest cost on the national debt, just based on where it is now, not based on how much higher it's going to be, but just based on, you know, 20 trillion, I would say we would triple our net interest payments. So we would add about $500 billion to the annual budget deficit, 500 billion. And that's before we've had any tax cuts. That's before we've had any increase in government spending. When you figure the deficits are close to a trillion right now, you know, I know they officially there are 600 billion or 700 billion, but unofficially they're closer to a trillion because, you know, you have to you have to finance all the off budget things. Even if you don't want to count it, you still have to borrow to pay for it. So you're talking about maybe a trillion and a half deficits before we cut taxes and increase spending on infrastructure and national defense and border security or whatever we're going to spend money on. So who knows? We could get annual deficits of two trillion dollars a year under 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 Trump. I mean, which means, I mean, if it's a little more, it's even possible that Trump would be adding another 10 trillion to the debt in his first term, which would mean he'd be adding as much debt in 4 years as Obama added in 8, right? Because he added about 10 trillion in in 8 years. Bush, I think Bush added about 5 trillion or so in his 8 years.
right? Because he doubled the national debt from five to 10 trillion. And then Obama doubled it from 10 to 20. And here you have Trump. I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's even possible to double it from 20 to 40. I don't even think he could get it to 30. There is going to be a major fiscal explosion. A currency crisis is going to have to intervene. Right now, people are just oblivious to this reality. You know, I tried to talk about this on CNBC. You know, I, I usually I put these CNBC uh, hits on my YouTube channel, but now they're not letting me do it because they, they, wanna, they want me to license these things. Um, and then when I license them, I have to, they take out the ticker and they have to title it their way and you can't make any changes to it. And it's all kind of restrictions on it. So I'm not even bothering. But you can see on their website, they put up the interview, although they cut out the last two minutes, which were pretty good. I don't know why they wanted to cut those out. So they only chose to use uh, the first part of it. But I was on the Fast Money in the studio. But then yet the following day, I went and I did this Futures Now. And they brought on that moron Scott Nations again, supposedly to ask me a question. And he didn't even ask me a question. He just said, look, I don't even want to ask a question. Uh, Mr. Schiff is a very dangerous man. Like, you know, you're just talking your book, right? You're a dangerous man. Like, I'm dangerous? Why am I dangerous? Because I speak the truth? I suppose the truth is dangerous, right? I'm dangerous for exposing what's going on. If, you're, if you don't want the truth to get out, then yeah, I'm a danger. I'm a danger to the status quo, right? But of course, you know, everybody that goes on CNBC is bull, all these stock analysts, I mean, they're all talking their book because they're all long stocks. I mean, what does he think I'm going to do? Say one thing in public and do the opposite in private? I mean, I believe what I believe and I invest based on the way I believe. And when I go on CNBC, I talk what I believe. I'm not, I'm not fake like a lot of the people that are used to being out there. But the point is that people are still refusing to acknowledge this. They just think, you know, everything, everything is going to be better. Yes, Donald Trump is president. But why? Why is he president? He's president because the economy is a mess, because the recovery that all these guys were talking about was a figment of their imaginations, as is this new economic boom that's going to result from the fiscal stimulus that we can't even afford. Even if fiscal stimulus worked, we're too broke to have it. You know, there's 20 trillion reasons why we can't have fiscal stimulus. You know, we're, the Fed is going to have to step up to the plate Big league, right? To use one of Trump's words, it's we're going to have big lead QE in order to try to even make this fiscal stimulus possible. How these people can be saying that we're going to have fiscal stimulus so we don't need monetary stimulus. I mean, we need monetary sti stimulus like we've never needed it before. You know, if we want to do fiscal stimulus, I mean, we've got big enough deficits to finance without the stimulus. I mean, which, of course... If deficit spending stimulated the economy, why aren't the deficits that are already huge stimulating it, right? They're not. So why would even bigger deficits stimulate it? But the same people who believe that there was a real recovery now believe it's going to get even better. Why? In fact, this so-called recovery is already so old that we're overdue for a recession. And why wouldn't this big increase in interest rates be the catalyst to cause it? You know, I think, ironically, the election of Donald Trump could be the catalyst that actually accelerates the collapse, right? That we might even collapse quicker under Trump than we might have under Hillary Clinton, because to the extent that Donald Trump actually tries to move us away from a bubble economy to legitimate economic growth, 
we're going to have to deal with the enormity of these problems sooner rather than later. Because if we just kick the can down the road and continue to be content with a declining standard of living and falling real growth as we hid behind the facade of asset bubbles, then maybe we could have kicked the can down the road a little longer. But if we're actually going to try to change, then we're going to have to pay the piper sooner rather than later, which is what we're seeing now in the bond market. So all the people who thought we had a great economy and who, as a result, thought Hillary Clinton would win, now they think, oh, well, the economy is going to be even better now that we have Trump. They were wrong before and they're wrong now. They overestimated the strength of the economy before the election, and now they're overestimating the strength of the recovery that they think is going to continue post-election when we are moving into recession. And the tax cuts aren't going to make a difference. In fact, they're not even going to arrive soon enough. The higher interest rates arrive immediately. People's adjustable rate mortgages are going to reset immediately. If you want to go out and borrow money to buy a house, the higher rates are there immediately. All the refinancing, you know, there's been refinancing that has been driving consumption now for several years. All the refi business is going to be gone, right? Nobody will be able to refinance because the rates will be higher than everybody's mortgage. So nobody will be able to refinance. And then real estate prices are going to come down. And so if you don't have any equity, then you definitely can't refinance. That's what's been driving the party. So even if we get some small tax cuts, it's not going to be enough to offset the higher cost of, of interest. And by the way, too, businesses have interest. Interest is a cost of doing business, just like your raw material or your labor. You've got a lot of small businessmen that have debt. And as interest rates go up and their costs of capital go up, they're going to have to pass on those higher costs into higher prices. So, in fact, higher interest rates in and of themselves are inflationary in the sense that they are a cost of business that is going to be passed on to the consumer along with other rising costs that are already going up. And so if the Fed thinks, hey, let's fight inflation by raising rates, they actually make inflation worse, which, went, oh, then they got to raise rates even more to fight it. Look, this genie is going to get out of this bottle in a way that nobody has anticipated. So you're talking about recession and inflation. You're talking stagflation in a very, very big way that can easily be here early in uh, in 2017. Now, I don't know, maybe the rally will continue all the way up until Inauguration Day, and then it can be a huge buy the rumor, sell the fact. I don't know. You know, but the interest rates will keep going up. I mean, how long the market could be oblivious to higher interest rates? Because not only do higher interest rates dramatically slow the economy, I mean, they, they crush the housing market, but stocks themselves you value stocks based on interest rates right i mean you discount earnings based on interest rates even if the earnings are going up a little bit uh you got to discount them by a higher amount and by the way the pe's are already very high and the whole justification for these high pe's was not the growth rate it was the discount rate it was the alternative it was hey stocks are the only game in town because interest rates are so low well, when interest rates aren't low anymore, well, now there's another game. And so stocks are expensive. You know, and by the way, when people keep talking about Reagan, 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 and, you know, it could be a boom like Reagan, you know how cheap stocks were when Ronald Reagan came into office? I mean, stocks at 
the 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 bull market peaked in 1966. The Dow peaked at a thousand in 1966. That's where it was in 1980. It was still there. And of course, in terms of gold, the Dow was worth just one ounce of gold. It was the lowest it had ever been since 1932. That's how cheap stocks were. And meanwhile, the stock market rally didn't even start until 1983, right? Because we went through a vicious recession in the beginning of the Reagan term, right? It was the worst recession since the Great Depression. And, you know, that's what happened initially. So we had a lot of transitionary pain before we got any to gain. But the stock market started at a very low level and interest rates started at a very high level. So during the Reagan term, you had falling inflation and falling interest rates. It's going to be the opposite during the Trump term. You're going to have rising interest rates and rising inflation. And instead of stocks beginning at record low valuations, they're at record high valuations. Reagan started stocks were cheap and Trump started and they're very expensive. And you have the opposite forces in play instead of a tailwind for stocks, you have an enormous headwind for stocks. And it's amazing to me that nobody is seeing this, right? Everybody is just oblivious and they've got this, you know, this fake narrative in their mind, right? All the people that thought this recovery was so strong that they expected Hillary Clinton to win. Now they think the economy is going to get even stronger because Trump won. The reality is they were wrong before because the economy was weak. That's why Trump won. And because it was weak, it's actually going to get weaker because the problems that made it so weak and the problems that resulted in Trump winning are not even close to being solved just by electing him. In fact, all the evidence so far is that he's going to try to kick this can down the road but he's not going to do it because we're going to run out of road sooner because the bond market is already bringing the party to an end, whether the people at the party want to recognize that fact or not. And I think the only thing that the Fed could do to try to take ease the pain or buy some time is they've got to come out and they've got to, you know, change the rhetoric. They've got to talk about cutting rates. They got to talk about printing up more money. But of course, then that lets the cat out of the bag. You know, we got the Fed minutes today. And in fact, one of the thing, reasons that they said they wanted to raise rates in December was to preserve their credibility. I mean, not because they thought it was warranted, but because they needed to do it because they had to preserve their credibility. Well, if they have any credibility, they'll lose it all. If they backtrack now, if they have to start talking about more QE to try to stop long-term interest rates from rising. But if they don't do that, then long-term interest rates are going, to are going to keep rising and they're damned. But then they're damned if they don't, because if they try to stop them from rising by doing more QE, then it's an admission that they can never stop because it's an admission that higher interest rates are going to crush the economy. Why people don't already know that you have an economy that's been so addicted to cheap money. You have asset markets that have been propped up on, you know, pillars of cheap money. And all of a sudden, you knock those pillars away. You take the cheap money away. And nobody thinks there's a problem here. Everybody thinks everything can keep getting better because we might have some fiscal stimulus and we might have some deregulation. Even if we get both, it's not going to be enough to overcome the enormity of the cost of higher interest rates to an extremely levered American economy. I mean, we're, we're like a giant hedge fund. That's really all we are. 
and interest rates going up is going to prick that bubble. Now, of course, tomorrow the markets are closed for the Thanksgiving holiday. And then, of course, the following day, Black Friday, when Americans are supposed to do their patriotic duty and march to the store, or now you don't even have to march, you could just go online and buy a bunch of stuff that you can't afford with money that you don't have. And, of course, most of the things that we buy on Black Friday are imported, and so we have to run up the trade deficit in order to buy things we can't afford. The question is, how many Americans are going to do that? I mean, yes, they are more optimistic. We got some consumer confidence numbers that came out today, and there was a big jump following the election of Donald Trump, which, again, I was pointing this out when it appeared that Trump was not going to win, when all the polls were showing Hillary winning in a landslide and, you know, 90 percent chance that she was going to win, um, the consumer confidence was falling. And I said, I bet it's because people are now resigned to the fact that Trump isn't going to win. And so there's no hope of the economy getting better. Well, now that Trump won, there is hope. Now people are hopeful that the economy might get better. Now, they're probably wrong. The economy's not going to get better, but there's still reasons for people to be hopeful because, hey, this at least might be a change. And, and so people are optimistic. But I think people are going to be disappointed. And ultimately, that optimism is going to fade, as will investor optimism when it comes crashing into a wall of reality. But, you know, we'll see if people are going to go and borrow more money given the fact that the cost of living is going up and their paychecks are not, and you've got so many people struggling with part-time jobs, will they be so enthusiastic about a miraculous turnaround under President Trump that they'll go out and borrow a bunch of money on the anticipation that they'll be able to afford the bills uh, when they come due? I don't know. I still think that we'll have another disappointing holiday season. And of course, you know, spending money is not good for the economy, especially when it's on imported products. I mean, what Americans should be doing is saving money. They should just have a Christmas where they don't exchange gifts and they just try to, you know, make it about family and friends and not about who can spend more money on what gifts, because what we really need is savings to finance economic growth. We don't need people going out and spending money. They still don't understand that economies don't grow because of spending. They grow because of the opposite of spending. It's because we don't spend money. We save money. That's what causes economies to grow. But we're not concerned about economic growth in America. We're just concerned about maintaining bubbles. And in order to maintain the bubble, we have to keep on going deeper into debt and spend more money uh, to keep this illusion of economic growth growing. But we'll see what happens to that illusion. Again, I think that we're gonna. the illusion is going to fade with either the increase in interest rates or the fact that the Fed is forced to step up and get back into the money printing and rate cutting game to to take away the sting of rising interest rates to make some of the tax cuts and spending increases possible. On another note, I want to point out that the transaction, the acquisition of my company, Shift Gold, by Gold Money is now completed. And so... Uh, Gold Money now owns Shift Gold, and I now have a partnership agreement with Gold Money. And I think this is going to be great for our customers. I think all of our, our, my customers, in fact, all the people who listen to this podcast, even if you're not currently buying physical gold from me at Shift Gold, everybody, everybody who listens to this podcast should have a Gold Money personal account. If you don't already have one, just go to goldmoney.com, 
and sign up. I mean, just sign up today. It doesn't cost anything to open up an account. You can buy some gold instantaneously. They just cut their fees. So the cost to buy gold is a half a percent over spot. This is the cheapest way to buy gold online, a half a percent over spot. And it's a half a percent to sell it if you ever do. And there's no storage. Storage is free. So go online, goldmoney.com, open up an account, and buy yourself some gold. It's under 1200 bucks, so it's a great entry point. They'll even give you a little bit of free gold when you buy some, so you're actually going to be buying it even cheaper. So you're going to get a discount to uh, the current market. So, you know, it's the best deal out there. But the whole idea behind gold money is not simply for you to buy gold, but for you to opt out of the banking system, of the fiat banking system. And why have a bank account today? What's the point? You get no interest, and it's possible the bank's going to fail, and there's going to be a bail-in or a lockout, and you're actually going to lose your savings. So instead of entrusting your savings to a bank that's highly levered and may fail and denominated it in a fiat currency that has no intrinsic value that could be worthless, why not store your savings in real gold at a gold money account, which is in your name, right? You, gold money doesn't even own the gold. You do. They're just making it accessible. It's your gold, and it's stored by Brinks, and, and you own the physical gold. You could get your gold whenever you want, but if you don't want it, you have it in your account, and you can give it to anybody. You can spend it. You can gift it, you know, anywhere in the world for free. You can transfer. So if you buy $100 worth of gold and you want to send somebody $5 worth, you can do it. Try sending somebody $5 worth of cash. How much is that going to cost? I mean, I mean, you could put it in an envelope and mail it. Uh, but, you know, what if you, want to, what if you live in America and you want to send somebody that lives in Japan? Well, I mean, you, the guy wants yen. You got dollars. But if you're using a gold money account, gold is gold. So you send somebody in Japan gold because it's gold. He can he can withdraw it in yen, even though you purchased it with dollars. But of course, he never has to withdraw it. He could just use it. The goal of gold money is to create a community of people who save, earn, and spend in gold. If you have a small business, you can ask your customers to pay you in gold. And if your suppliers want to be paid in gold, they can be paid in gold. Nobody ever has to leave gold. I mean, once you, you have an on-ramp, you take your dollars or your euros or your yen and you buy gold, and then that gold can live in this environment and transfer from user to user for free instantaneously anywhere in the world. And if you get a free debit card, and eventually I think they're going to have checking. So if you can have a free debit card and you can access your gold money account through your debit card, if eventually you get a check, I mean, it's the same as a bank, except you're banking gold instead of banking a currency. And, you know, as currencies are debased, which we know they're going to be, the value of what you don't spend, your savings are going to constantly grow. So this is important to do, not only individually, but I, I look at it almost as a crusade, because this is really how we can change the world. This is how we can disempower government. Government derives its power from issuing money, from establishing what is uh, the uh, unit of account or legal tender. But here we can basically take away their power by rejecting their money. See, one of the reasons that so many people use government money as opposed to gold in commerce is because it's easier. It's more convenient, right? Lugging around a bar of gold and trying to pay somebody in gold 
It's hard. It's much easier to have a bank account and deal in fiat. Well, that was then. This is now. With the internet, with gold money, and with their technology, it is actually easier and cheaper for you to save, earn, and transact in gold than it is in dollars or any other currency. So as people recognize this and make a conscious decision, this is voting with your feet. Doesn't matter which politician you vote for, nothing's going to change. But you can change the system by voting against the currency that the bureaucrats are spending. Because the reason politicians have influence is because people want the money they create. People want dollars. They want euros. But if you reject that, as more and more people say, you know, I don't care. I don't care about your currency. I don't want it. Right? I'm, I'm happy to deal in gold. I can save. I can transact. I can earn. I can be paid in gold. I mean, think about all these people, too, that don't even have bank accounts because they're expensive. And they take their paychecks to these check cashing places, and they lose 10 or 15%. Any of those people can go online now and open up a gold money account, and they can have direct deposit. They can have their employer pay their paycheck directly into their gold money account, and now they can get a free debit card. And they can pay all their bills, and they don't have to give up a huge VIG to a check cashing company. But as more people do this, we take the power away from the government. Because then eventually you'll have merchants that will just refuse to accept payment in anything other than gold. And it will be very easy to get paid in gold because they can get paid through gold money. And so then if merchants don't want dollars, then what good is a welfare check? Or what good are food stamps if nobody will accept it? So this is a real revolution. This is the vote that counts by voting to reject the fiat monetary system, you're voting against big government uh, and you're voting in favor of the free market. It's more like, you know, you're using uh, FedEx instead of the post office. You're using Uber instead of a cab. This is a much bigger shift by using real money, using what the free market wants as money, as opposed to what government bureaucrats want to decree as money. So again, just go over there to uh, goldmoney.com. And after you set up an account, you can also invite your friends through this Golden Heart program. And every time you invite a friend, you can earn a little free gold. So you can get some more gold for yourself. You can't beat free. And then your friends can pick some up. And we could just grow this through word of mouth and get more people all around the world. I've got a pretty big following. So if just all of my followers go and open up accounts and invite, you know, 10 friends who invite 10 friends, I mean, this thing can move around the world at a very, very rapid pace. Hey, one more announcement as you go about shopping, you know, for Black Friday. I just bought a bunch of my own books from Wiley. I bought all the copies they had left. They didn't actually have that many. I'm not sure. Maybe they'll print them again. But it is the collector's edition of how an economy grows and why it crashes. It is a great little book. And the collector's edition has two extra chapters. If you bought the original book, you don't have these two extra chapters. The book is much bigger. It has all kinds of color uh, pictures. The original was all black and white. So it makes a fantastic Christmas gift. I know, you know, I, I got an email from one of my listeners sent me a photograph of his wife reading this book to their, I think, three or four-year-old kid as a bedtime story. She calls it Nomics. She's like, oh, I want to I want to I want to hear Nomics. So I mean, you little kids, but it's ideal for teenagers. People can really understand uh, economics, but it's a great gift because it's a very substantial book now. Uh, it's large, it's colorful, there's these big pictures. So I'm going to autograph each one of them, too. So I got to, you know, take them out of the box and sign them because this is the first time I've ever sold these books with an autograph 
unless, of course, you came to one of my conferences and I happened to be there and I was able to sign the book. And these are the last copies they had that I that I got. So um, you could buy one copy for 34 bucks, two copies for 60. I, I suggest you buy two copies if you're going to give a gift because you have one for the gift and you have one to keep for yourself. So you can go to uh, shiftbooks.com is my uh, my website, shiftbooks.com. And so buy your Christmas copies while supplies last. This is the collector's edition of How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff. And long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams and How to Avoid Getting Ripped Off for Free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.